When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about how to live a happier life. This week, Elizabeth will propose a very counterintuitive try this at home, and we'll also talk about solitude. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is coming soon to New York City. Um, though I, I'm not going to see much of you, I don't think. That is me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretch, I am coming to New York to be on the set of The Family, which is the ABC show I'm working on, which will debut um, either at the end of January or in February. Um, and I will be very busy on the set um, in my capacity. So won't have a lot of downtime, but I'm looking forward to it. It just sounds so glamorous. You're going to go on the set. I know. It's really not. If you see what I look like on the set, you would not oh, think it was Oh, send us a picture. And perhaps yeah. you'll visit and you'll see what I look like, which is, you know, like not good. <laughs> I will I will, set, I will post fixed pictures when you're here so we can all get a visual of that. Okay. Now, before we get into Try This at Home, last week we asked listeners to uh, tell us their Try This at Homes for getting through the holidays for an upcoming episode we're doing about Thanksgiving. And this week, we'd like to ask listeners, um, what's the thing that's the essential piece of the holiday? Is it the recipe for sweet potatoes with marshmallows, watching the parade, playing touch football? What makes Thanksgiving Thanksgiving to you? Yeah, Elizabeth, I remember once that you said that for you, it was stuffing. Definitely. Stuffing. If I go to a Thanksgiving dinner and there's no stuffing, it's like the world crumbles <laughs> around me. And I'm like, 
this isn't Thanksgiving. Now, of course, I don't cook, so, <laughs> you know, I, it's hard for me to be too irate, given that I've, I've always done nothing. Right. But I do need that stuffing. Yeah, and, and also for our, our listeners who are not in the United States, obviously Thanksgiving is, a, is an American holiday. Um, what's kind of the equivalent for your holiday? Like, what, what's the, what, the, the, the issue is, like, what is the one thing that makes the holiday special for you, the one piece that has to be there for you to feel like you've had your true holiday experience. We want to hear what you have to say. Gretchen, I also wanted to um, mention an email we got uh, from Sarah who weighed in about my voice. You know, we've had various discussions about my voice. And this uh, was a great email from Sarah, who I must mention has an MA in vocal pedagogy. Uh, which is and an MM in vocal performance. It's, it's, I love uh, these titles. And more. Yeah. Yes, and she's got more. Um, but she says, what I hear in Elizabeth's voice is a pitch that is a bit low for Gretchen too. Some hoarseness and gravelly vocal fry. The low pitch is fairly habitual and culturally accepted for women, though it isn't an efficient, optimal use of the voice. The vocal fry is indicative of lots of muscular tension and often a lack of connection to the breath. It can be made worse if you have persistent acid reflux that travels up to the voice box. The reflux can also cause the hoarseness, though that too can just be a result of inappropriate pitch and imbalance of muscle effort and breath flow. So, I mean, this is fascinating to me. And I have to say she (laughs) nailed it because I do have... Persistent acid reflux, which is not something I was, you know, wanting to share. Now I feel compelled to. I mean, it's just extraordinary that she can just be listening to your voice and get all this information from it. It's just fascinating to me. I know. Yeah. What's so nice of her to offer. And she very nicely, I know she offered to talk to me on Skype and give me some tips, um, which I haven't taken her up on. Uh, but, you know, if I ever get my act together, I will, <laughs> because I'm sure it would be incredibly useful. So thank you, Sarah, for that. So, Elizabeth, this week, our Try This at Home tip comes from you. This Try This at Home um, is an involuntary Try This at Home that I hope no one else actually has to try at home. But I sort of realized for me uh, personally that uh, it was very helpful to me in my life. And that is get fired. Wow. So getting fired was something that even though you didn't want to try it, it actually ended up boosting your happiness over the long run. Yeah. And I have to say, before we launch into this, I asked Sarah, my writing partner, if she minded me talking about us getting fired. And she asked, which time? <laughs> uh, and then she gave me carte blanche to talk about it. Uh, So you know a lot about getting fired. I do know a lot about getting fired. Uh, I've been fired many times. Um, You know, how this comes about is for years, Sarah and I lived in fear of getting fired. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of people in LA do, and I'm sure that's true in all industries. Um, But it was to the point where everybody said, okay, just don't have anything in your office. You want to be able to vacate in one, you know, walk to the car. So you can only have in your office what you can put, you know, what you can carry in one trip to the car. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Because there is just a lot of um, firing in L.A. It's just something that happens for various reasons. 
Um, but we lived in such fear of it that it's like almost this cloak that once it finally happened, I felt free of that fear because I got through it and I saw that, you know, there was life beyond getting fired and a career beyond getting fired. And so I no longer had to, you know, walk into any job every day with this dark cloud over my head that if I got fired, my world would end. Well, and it's interesting because it's a good example of sometimes the things that help us over the long run or make us wiser are not things that we would seek out, that we, would, we wouldn't deliberately want to have this experience to, you know, of personal growth or to, you know, expand our horizons in that way. It's not something you would want to have happen. It's certainly not something you would want to have happen to somebody else. And yet it turns out that when it does happen, even though it was involuntary, you did feel the better for it. You felt like stronger going forward, having dealt with this horrible situation when it happened. And so when you got fired, like what, what was, what was going through your mind? Like what were, what were your, what was your immediate reaction? Uh, well, I didn't believe it. Uh, I, I thought it must be a mistake uh, because it was just so surreal. Um, and it was, you know, I felt like a failure, of course. I felt like, you know, everything that I had been putting all of my efforts to had just come to nothing and that I was, you know, sort of just the worst, you know. Well, in fact, this is one of the things that they tell people who are very, have a lot of anxiety is they say, play out your anxiety. What is the worst thing that would happen? Like, imagine, like, imagine your car did break down on the freeway. Well, what would you do? What would happen? And that sometimes by imagining, well, this is how everything would play out, you realize, well, it wouldn't be a happy experience. It might be, there might be a lot of stuff to deal with, but it's not like the world is going to come to an end because it's easy sort of to have this idea that like you, you couldn't manage it. But then when you think about, well, what actually would happen, then you realize you can manage it. But for those, of, you know, now for me, when I, when it happens to me, I'm always still be just going off and being a TV writer in another capacity. But I think for other people, I've heard from, if you get fired from, you know, one kind of industry, it can be something that forces them to change paths and do something that perhaps they actually want to do more than what they're doing at the time. Uh, well, one one story that comes to my mind is Michael Bloomberg, who, you know, is like this hugely successful businessman. He was a three-term mayor of New York City. He's got like a gigantic amount of money. He's got a huge philanthropy, all this stuff. Well, he was fired at age 39 from Solomon Brothers. He'd been there for 15 years. He thought he was like this big deal finance guy. It was the only full-time job he'd ever had. And he got fired. And the, and the day after his last day at work, he started his company, Bloomberg. Ah. And so, you know, he was very he was successful in the one thing. But but if he'd stayed there, he might never have done something that really racket, you know, took it up to a very different level. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting. And by the way, I have to say in all this, like we you know, I realize that for many people, there's no upside to getting fired. So it's not a whimsical thing to get fired. It's a luxury to be able to get fired and then have work uh, soon after. So I'm kind of talking about this in a metaphoric way. You know, it's like what happens when you face the worst and then, you know, what strength do you get from that? Right. Getting fired is sort of like dealing with the worst outcome and, and, and realizing that you have the, 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 the wherewithal to move forward. So Gretchen, um, for this, try this at home, which obviously no one actually wants to try at home. I'd love to hear from our listeners, like, have they dealt with this? 
and how has it impacted them uh, positively or I'm sure negatively in some cases? Uh, yeah, so it'd be, we really want to hear from listeners and their experiences. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash happier. That's storyworth.com slash happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Elizabeth, here's a question to help you know yourself better. Would you like to spend more time with friends or more time in solitude? Yeah, it seems like most people want more of one or the other, or I guess some people even want more of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you What do you think? Um, well, I want more time with friends. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I don't really crave solitude, but I really need to spend time with friends, and it's the thing I really find most rejuvenating. I mean, mm. aside from a nice night with you know Adam and Jack. I if I go out to dinner with a few people, um, I will come out of that feeling renewed, almost sometimes even reborn. Ah. It's that important to me. And what what do you think gets in the way? I mean, part of it to me, it seems like L.A., everything seems like a hassle. It's like everything's yes. far away. Yeah. I mean, I have to add whenever I have one of these dinners planned. I have zero desire to go. <laughs> I do not want to go. How can I get out of this? I can't go because I don't want to drive to Hollywood. But once I'm there, as soon as I sit down and get, you know, the car parked, yeah. I'm um, just like filled with glee to see friends. Yeah. No, it is funny how like you can dread something that in the end is going to make you super happy. Like that's 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 a happiness issue for a happiness stumbling block for sure. Um, I feel like for me, I, I need to make sure that I have enough time alone. I really need solitude. I've realized that about myself. I, I think, and I need more solitude than I thought I did for a long time. I'm beginning, I'm beginning ah. to realize. And what's the difference? Some people, I think, confuse solitude and loneliness, or they think if they're alone, they're going to be lonely. Right. No, and that's a super critical difference because solitude, I mean, I think the way people use the term, solitude is sort of renewing you know it's it's energizing and it's it feels good um it's restorative and then loneliness i mean loneliness is one of the worst experiences people have and i really i actually think that there should be a lot more research into loneliness because um certainly i hear from tons of people um who are facing loneliness as a happiness challenge but it's interesting i've been reading lately about people who really feel called to like very dramatic solitude, like yeah. really like living by themselves and not seeing that many people. And um, it's interesting how people 
really do have these, we all have different levels of wanting to engage with other people and, and finding that right level seems like a really important thing in a happy life. Yeah. And I do think some of it depends on where you are in your life. For instance, when you have a young child or children, it's hard. One, solitude's difficult to come by and going out with friends like I was talking about is difficult. I mean, you said, what's one thing that gets in my way aside from just traffic and distance? I don't want to spend evenings away from Jack uh, because I work full time and that's when I get to spend time with him. So I really have to weigh out, like, is it worth it for me to be away from him for a dinner in order to see these people? You know, so I want the rejuvenation of that. But at the same time, I don't want to be away from him. Right, right. No, it's, it's, it's a problem when all these things sort of have to be balanced together. Um, but I think like you're talking about people who have little kids. I mean, I think one thing that people don't realize is how how starved for solitude they are because they are constantly, you know, they're at work and they're around work people all day and then they come home and they're around their family all day. And like, you know, week after week after week goes by. And if for a person, if a person feels like they need solitude, I, I think it's worthwhile to try to figure out, mm, is there a way I can carve out three hours in a way that respects everything else that I want because I just need this time myself? The only time I know in a week that I'm going to be alone in my house is on Tuesdays, Adam always takes Jack to school because Adam then goes to his mindfulness class at <laughs> school. And so I, he may take him other days too, but I know on that Tuesday, I'm going to be alone in the house for about half an hour. And um, do you look forward to it? Sometimes that's it. I um I do. I mean, I, it is nice just to have a little bit of alone time. Like I said, I don't crave it, but it is nice to know it's going to happen at least once a week. Well, you know, and here's an interesting point on, on like the subject of loneliness of like people maybe who have too much solitude. Um, May Sarton, who's one of the people that I've been reading about, who's, who's very much called to solitude. She made an observation. Um, solitude shared with animals has a special quality and rarely turns to loneliness. And I've been thinking about that because lately Barnaby, my new puppy, um, I'll yes. be up in my office working and Barnaby comes up and he just flops down and, and lies there at my feet, like Aww. asleep or like chewing on his little bone thing. I got a, a stash up there. And it's funny how nice it is. I mean, he's not doing anything. He's just lying there asleep at my feet. And yet it really does change the quality of the feeling of life around me. I still feel the solitude that I love. And yet it does feel more enlivened in a way. It's very interesting. I mean, cozy, it feels cozy. Yeah. I mean, I noticed this when we got a fish. I was like, it's funny how much more full <laughs> of life the house feels when we have like one little betta fish. Um, but it's interesting, May Sarton, like I said, like spent a lot of time alone. Um, she was very preoccupied. She had animals and she also had tons of plants. Ah. And I think plants also, they're alive. They, they enrich your space in some way. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. So, yeah. yeah, so so it's something to think about when you know to know yourself better and to know what kind of steps might make you happier is to think about, do you need more time with friends or more time in solitude? It's something to think about. Remember, if you want to leave us a voicemail question, call 774-277-9336. That's 77-HAPPY-336. And this week, a listener asked a very provocative question. How do you deal with negative press or hecklers or adversity? Sometimes it seems difficult to hear constant negativity, I would imagine. Ah, 
Well, Gretch, this is something you and I can both really relate to because our jobs uh, are basically to take criticism for a living. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there's a lot of criticism. I mean, Elizabeth, I don't know about you, but one of the ways I deal with it is like I don't read reviews. Uh Um, And uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, Jamie, my husband or my agent, Christy, or somebody will be like, oh, you should read this. But for the most part, I really try not to um, because I feel like. I used to make myself do it because I because I thought it would make me a better writer, but realized I, then now I re, then I realized it did not make me a better writer. I think of anything it might hurt my writing, and it, and it also really upset me. and uh, And then I would have to manage manage my emotional state. And so um, a lot of times I just try not to hear it or expose myself to it. Um, how about you, Elizabeth? Like, if you have a show come out, do you do you read the reviews? I do read reviews. I honestly think I take so much criticism for a living. I mean, most of my <laughs> job is is pitching ideas and having them rejected. You know, that's the, and aside from even the writing part of it, which is a whole other story, even just the day to day is really, um, you know, sort of accepting um, a negative response to whatever you're putting out there. So not much bothers me at this point in terms of reviews. Um, Which is interesting because I would say knowing you as your sister, that you're a pretty sensitive person. So it's interesting that you kind of have gotten calluses in some ways because I think just dealing with you as a, in life, yeah. I, I think that you're very sensitive to uh, negativity or criticism. I am, and Adam points that out all the time, that I'm extremely uh, <laughs> he, sensitive. He criticizes you for... <laughs> yes, he criticizes me for how sensitive I am. <laughs> but about work, for whatever reason, I'm just, yeah, I've, I've gotten a thick skin. But, you know, to her question of just dealing with negativity in general, um, I remember something someone told me once was, you know, if someone handed you a glass of poison, you wouldn't drink the poison. You would just put it down and walk away. Well, if someone's feeding you poison, don't drink their poison. Just, you know, let it go. And I always thought that was such a great um, way to think about somebody being really negative you know, toward you. Now, I'm not talking about intellectually. I mean, you know, in some in some way that's really hurtful. But it's hard not to take that cup. I mean, I think there's something in us that draws us somehow to 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 wanting to engage on it or like wanting to understand it or to go over it and over it. I mean, one thing I've realized, like if I get a negative email from somebody, like I'll answer it and then I delete it right away because otherwise I'll just go over it and over and over and read it. And it's like, well, you've already answered it. Like what more, like you're just work, I'm just working myself up. Um, I think that one thing about it is really managing your emotional state. Um, Like whenever I get uh, edits, like on 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 a big piece of writing, I always have this whole like moment ahead of time where I'm like, I'm going to open myself to criticism. This person is helping me. Mm-hmm. This is what I want. This is going to make my work better because otherwise I can get get myself worked up into this super defensive anxious state which is which is not helpful. Yeah, it's like if you're at work and your boss is giving you a review of your performance, the worst thing you can do is reject what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, out of hand. Um, You know, what you want to do is take it in and actually improve. 
um, and just not feel like you're a horrible person because maybe you've been doing something wrong. But see, that I think this goes back to your, your metaphor of the cup of poison, because I think there's something to be distinguished between someone whose negativity or criticism is constructive and helpful and well-meant and the person who's just like a drive-by random person making pot shots. And so like, you know, on the Internet, it's like, is this somebody who's is this a thoughtful reviewer of your television show who's making interesting points that you can learn from? Or is this just some person who um, is just amusing themselves by writing me as mean things as they can. And so because they can both feel of equal weight, but of course, they're tremendously equal weight, unequal weight. And that's why I will take criticism from somebody who I respect and trust. But I try not mm -hmm. to be exposed to criticism from people who I don't necessarily think that their judgment should sear my soul and <laughs> direct my right. actions. <laughs> right. Not uh, not that you uh, not that you care. <laughs> right. Very interesting question. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Gretchen, you are up this week with a demerit. Uh, well, my, I don't know if this is a demerit, actually. It's not quite a demerit, but it's something where I feel the limitations of my nature. And this happened a couple of weeks ago, but I still keep thinking about it because um, it's sports related and we're like in sports season right now. And this was back when the Royals won the World Series, Yay! which of course was super exciting. But I realized, you know, I, I'm i just not that into sports and I'm just not that excited about the World Series. Right. <laughs> okay, and making it worse about the fact that it's like I'm, to I'm almost, I'm only slightly excited about that fact is the other team was the Mets. And I live right, in New York. So, yeah, New York. I live in New York City. City. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a New York team. So it's like. As a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's an ardent fan, baseball fan, was like, "Look, any whatever happens, I win." Because she was like, "You know, Mets win, Royals win, it's a win." But I'm like, "Eh, whatever." I mean, it was just, I and I just, I, I feel like sort of a killjoy. I mean, in, in Kansas City, they canceled school. It was such a big deal that the World they won the World Series. And, you know, okay, so we talked in episode two about how we have this family updates where we send each other updates. You, you, me, mom, dad. And, and, and while the World Series was going on, you know, mom and dad sent all these updates that had to do with the World Series and the crowds and the parade and the big sea of blue around Union Station. And I was like, oh, it's so great to hear from them about what's going on. But really... I just, I, I, I felt a limitation in my own nature that I wasn't more excited. Yeah, um, Gretchen, I have to say, you know, I felt like I was really excited that they won and that they were in the World Series. 
but I was out um, the last the night of the last game, and I didn't even think to check who won uh, when I got home. And I just woke <laughs> up the next day and saw it on Facebook. So I'm kind of right there with you. So go Kansas City. Yeah, and okay. yes, you and I aren't the biggest sports fans, but um, but you we know. have we have tons of Casey pride. Um, yes. So we're very excited, um, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So gold star, come on, that yeah, take us up. Uh, Gretch, this week my gold star goes to Jack Adam and the restaurant Benihana. Oh. Um, yes, and I think I've mentioned before Benihana because I enjoy <laughs> it. It's a, um, it's one of those restaurants for anyone who doesn't know where you go and you sit around a table and the chef makes your food in front of you. It's Japanese food, right? Japanese, yeah, I love Benihana. And, you know, last week, I just had had a really hard week. Nothing bad had happened. It's just that I'd been working a ton. um, And I also had had several events I had to go to. So I was just super worn out. Mm -hmm. And I had um, mentioned this to Adam. And then Saturday night, he and Jack surprised me by taking me to Benihana, which is someplace, you know, we rarely go. It's kind of a special occasion place. And it was just so wonderful because they were joking around like they said, oh, we have somewhere special to take you. And they pretended like they were taking me to Paquito Moss, which is, you know, not a special event kind of place. Mm -hmm. And then we turned into Benihana and it was just so fun and exciting that we were there. And it made this just ordinary Saturday night really feel kind of extraordinary because it was just this sweet surprise oh that's well you know you and i have this phrase that we've talked about over the years which was when you say when we say to each other like i want to get a surprise gift in the mail and that's sort of our metaphor for meaning like i wish that somebody outside myself would like send me something like give me some kind of treat or like i wish i could win an award like nothing that would mean any more responsibilities or any kind of effort but just kind of descend on me from a from outside and 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 in recognition of me and so that's what they did it was like the it was like uh that's could be our new thing it's like won't someone take me to Benihana exactly um and we had a great night um and uh so I just want to say gold star all around but also one thing I would say too is that I feel like when you have two working parents sometimes if you're doing a ton of work it's not like the other person feels sympathetic to you it's almost like the other person is like well you've had all that time to be self-indulgent and do your work um like but now you got to do this you know now you got to help out at home or, or do whatever and so it was nice that he was he took cognizance of the fact that you'd been working really, really hard and so th- that you deserved a treat. It wasn't that you had been, you know, falling short in your home duties type of thing. Yeah, I have to say I, have just, I was feeling so guilty about having um, not been around. So you're absolutely right. I think that really enhanced the whole experience, the fact that it sort of it totally alleviated any guilt I felt because it was like, hey, we see you. We see that you're you're out there and you're trying, and so we want to pick you up a little bit. Oh, it's so nice. Great gold star. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Now, this week, we're not going to say try this at home because this is not something that anybody wants to try. But getting fired is a very common thing. It's probably happened to all of us. Um, And so let us know, how did it affect you? What did you learn from it? Um, What was your experience, um, if you've ever had the experience of getting fired? 
Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Please get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, remember, for our very special episode 40, which is our holiday episode, we want to hear from you. And one question we want to know is, what is the thing that makes the holiday the holiday for you? What's the crucial key thing that if it's missing, you just feel like it's not the way it's supposed to be? We're very eager to hear what it is for you. So let us know on voicemail, email, Facebook, on my site, anywhere you want to get in touch. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Oh, you're right. I've got to make it up to her. I suggest dinner and a show. How about Benny Hanna, where dinner is the show? Hmm. <laughs>